Hello there, I'm Kyoso Ronin Beemaker, and welcome to Lounge Ronin, all things, everything. To learn more about myself and how you can support Lounge Ronin, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. If you're interested in reaching out, follow me on social media, on Twitter, Ronin Art and Music, or at me at Kios Ronin, K-O-I-O-S-R-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, follow me at RoninArt underscore music. And if you prefer, hit me up at my email at RoninArtAndMusic09 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a review, and slap that notification bell. On Apple Podcasts, Please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love. And on this episode, we're going to discuss Celtic warriors in Egypt. Now, my interest into this idea of uh, um, Egyptians in uh, various aspects of the world, and I would say we could say more um, unusual aspects of the world. Uh, I was first; it was first brought to my attention when I watched a a um, short docu on these hieroglyphics that were found in Australia, in just one part of Australia. And they are pretty much an enigma. They don't really know much about them. You know, um, mainstream uh, academics and antiquities will dismiss it as nonsense. But um, they're legitimate and they really don't know much about how they got there. My other um, mystery into the... uh, the the clear um, exceptional navigational skills of the Egyptians is also when I was um, it was brought to my attention information regarding Egyptians in Ireland and I wish I had bookmarked the video it was this this uh, this woman this young woman in in uh, Ireland actually and she was talking about her how her ancestors were descended from Egyptians. Now I'm just I'm I'm pulling from the, the the fragments of my of my memory from the far far back corners. Um but that's kind of the gist of what she was saying essentially. And I was like <laughs> well that's interesting. Uh so I kind of just put that in the back of my mind. 
And it wasn't until I saw this article. Shout out to Ancient Origins. They're always supplying Lounge Ronin with some of the most digestible and easy to understand and comprehend articles on various ancient and modern archaeology and cultural and heritage history and artifacts and what have you. But I saw this uh, title about Celtic warriors fighting in Egypt, and I was like, hold on a second here. <laughs> uh, and also, I should mention the other information that I recently learned about regarding Egyptians and their uh, navigational skills. And I don't necessarily remember in regards to what um, Randall Carlson said. Shout out to Randall Carlson, amazing individual. But he discussed um, reading uh, information where Egyptian priests knew about uh, America. And when I found out about this, I was like, wait, what? So this kind of added to my my curiosity in regards to this uh, article about Celtic warriors fighting in Egypt. And it's like, what is going on here? You know, because re, re, I know they want to say that. The, I know they really want to say the Egyptians built the pyramids. I know they really want to say that. And I know they really want to believe that. But it wasn't the Egyptians that built the pyramids. I know this might be controversial, what I'm saying, but let's be real here. They didn't build them. Um, they weren't privy to that knowledge or <laughs> that technology. And when you look at the, the fact that the quarry where all the limestone um, blocks for the pyramids were taken from, from a quarry that's like 500 or 900 miles away. And uh, someone can correct me in the, in the comment section, but I believe the, the um, longest Egyptian boat that was, as of late, that was um, uncovered during archeological excavations is like 20 feet long. Something like that. So, and, and you know, when we get into the article, who knows? They might end up, you know, correcting me here. But that was the most, um, at that time, that was the longest boat that they had. And we all know that a 25-foot boat cannot carry a 600-ton or 800-ton uh, limestone block. Um, so, you know... I'm I'm not going to get more into all of that but you know the the Egyptians got there things were already there well what was left of what was there <laughs> and they proceeded to to take what knowledge and you know the libraries that are there and you know establish their their culture and and their kingdom I mean it's <laughs> it's uh it's I mean it's you know, do your own research on that stuff. And uh, 
you you make up your own decision and interpretation and what you believe is the case. I'm not here to tell you anything different, but I mean, when you look into it all, it's like it's pretty cut and dry that the Egyptians didn't build the pyramids. But <laughs> you know, if, if that was the case, then did they build the pyramids that are in uh, China? Did they build the pyramids that are off the coast of Cuba? Did they build the pyramid in Greece or the pyramids in North America or in Mexico? I mean, I'm just saying, just saying, or Antarctica, just saying. But um, yeah, let's get into this article. All right. Okay. It was uh, published January 4th, 2016 by Natalia Kilmzak. It's got a fancy last name. All right. Exploring the little known history of Celtic warriors in Egypt. Celtic warriors were one of the most important uh, supports of Mediterranean armies, really. However, it is a little known fact that apart from their role in the, in the Byzantine, these powerful warriors also had a strong connection with ancient Egypt. Okay. Nowadays, the Celtic languages and cultures are restricted to Ireland, parts of Scotland, Wales, Galicia in Spain, and Brittany in France. Hmm. However, Celtic-speaking tribes once controlled much of Europe before the rise of the Roman Empire. Groups of Celtic mercenaries and adventurers made their presence felt as far afield as Thrace, Greece, Judah, and Judea, and Africa. What? Wait, there were Celtic mercenaries in Africa? Well, I mean, Egypt, so... <laughs> Duh. It was during the 4th century BC that Celtic warriors first appeared in Greece, Italy, and the Mediterranean islands. In 390 BC, they sacked a small city along the Tiber River in uh, Eturia. Celtic warriors were famous for the quality of their weapons, their impressive courage, and their wild battle cries. Some of them went on foot, but the nobles rode to battle on horses. They, uh, they wore long hair and favored decorated shields and long swords. During the 4th and the beginning of the 3rd centuries BC, they were employed in the region from uh, Sparta to uh, Cyprus, Syracuse, Syracuse. I mean, I know it's not Syracuse here, but interesting. They were they there. They formed an important part of the Carthaginian Carthaginian army and fought in both uh, Punic wars. They supported Hannibal and traveled with him through the Alps. Holy smokes! 
I'm sorry, this is all this is all new information to me. This this is all new information to me. So I'm I'm just as surprised and perplexed by anyone who's um hearing about this for uh, for the first time. If there are any um Irish listeners out there or French or, or British or Greece. I mean, you know, let me know in the comments if uh, you've ever heard of this or any of your um, your ancestors or just any knowledge of you guys have ever heard about this or any uh, museums in your countries that um, make reference to Celtic warriors in their region. This is wild. Celts in Pomac, Egypt. Many Celts in the armies of foreign countries came from uh, Galatea, an area once situated in the highlands of central Anatolia in what is now Turkey. Whoa. From the early 3rd century, Celtic warriors from the Eastern European tribes were included in the Egyptian battle order. During the reign of Tomle II, uh, Philadelphus. Oh man, that is very, very suspicious. But I'm not going to get into that right now. I'm yeah, I'm not going to get into how there are a lot of similarities between Egyptian city names and and names in the United States. But that ties into a whole other topic that I'm not going to get into. A band of four thousand Celtic warriors were recruited from the Balkans with the aid of Antagonius. Uh, Gonatas of Macedon. Interesting. What a name. According to the Greek historian uh, Pasunius, uh, Pasanius? Whew, man, I, they're, they're giving me a freaking workout today with the grammar. The 4,000 Celtic warriors helped Tomle to win a crushing victory over his half-brother usurper, Tolme Hernos. He also claims that the war leaders of the Celtic bands wanted to overthrow both Tolme, Magnus of uh, Cyrene, a Greek Macedonian nobleman who was a member of the uh, Tolmac dynasty. Their goal was to set themselves up as the rulers of Egypt. Bro. <laughs> wow. To punish this Celtic rebellion, Ptolemy expelled these exotic warriors to a small island in the Nile to die of starvation. Hmm. However, this episode did not mean the end of the association between the Celts and Ptolemy's. Man, that's wild. Can you, could you imagine, imagine if they had taken over Egypt? Oof. Man, I'm sure in one timeline they did. This is incredible. Absolutely fascinating and incredible. And in 2050 BC, Tome II hired more Celtic warriors to assist the native Egyptian army in road construction and to put down rebellions. 
<laughs> you, you you know they're, they're that good when even when they attempted to overthrow you, you still hire them again because it's like, God damn. <laughs> they're too good. They're too good. Too good not to hire. He and his son, Ptolemy III, uh, Eugretus, who became pharaoh in 2047 BC, also employed Celtic mercenaries. This time they marched through Syria and Judah in victorious campaign against Ooh, Seleucus Callinicus, a ruler of the Hellenistic secluded empire, in the invasion of the wait the Sel the Seleucid 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 I don't even know. <laughs> oh God, the Sel Empire. We're just gonna do that just to save on tongue ties. In the invasion of the Sel Empire, ravaging Mesopotamia and Western Persia during the reign of uh, uh, Otome uh, Philippartor from 2022 to 205 BC, um, Celtic soldiers had become a part of the culture of Ptolemaic Egypt. Man. Until the fall of the Ptolemaic dynasty, they remained a very important part of the army. Um, God, what is it? Ptolemy, what number is this? I'm terrible with, with, um, with Latin numbers. Ptolemy, uh, Epiphanius. <laughs> these names are weird. These names are wild. I really need to read more. I need to improve my my uh, situation for reading comprehension hired an army of Thracian Celts to put down a revolt of native Egyptian population in Upper Egypt. It is also known that the last ruler of the dynasty, Cleopatra, really used the Celtic mercenaries. Really? Hey, you think there are any of those uh, Celtic mercenaries in Netflix's? <laughs> I'll put this in quotations, documentary about Cleopatra. <laughs> Oh, gosh. You know, sometimes you can't help but laugh at the racism. Oh, wow. Even she, man, these boys have been employed for a minute. Many Celtic warriors found a new home in Egypt, married local women, and stayed in the land of the pharaohs for the remainder of their lives. According to Greek historian uh, Polybos, the intermarriage between Celtic warriors and native Egyptian and Greek girls were very common. The children of Celtic Egyptian marriages were known by the slang term uh, e uh, pigoval. Pigoval. Interesting. Okay. Here, um, above is a picture. And this is from my podcast listeners. Uh, is above is a picture of Celtic soldiers in the bottom left uh, alongside um, Egyptian soldiers. This is very interesting. The oldest footsteps between the two civilizations. According to Lorraine Evans, who reveals in her compelling book, Kingdom of the Ark, the relationship between Egypt and the Celts is much older than 3rd century BC. 
She believes that the remains of an ancient boat hmm, discovered in 19, uh, 1937 in North Fairby, Yorkshire, belonged to ancient Egyptians. The boat was first the, the boat was at first thought to be a Viking longship, but according to um, radiocarbon dating, it was created around 1400 to 1350 BC. Evans argues that these boats originated from Egypt. In the Scottish uh, Chronicon, a 15th century chronicle of, of legendary account by the Scottish historian Walter Bower uh, by the Scottish historian Walter Bower, Evans discovered the story of Skoda, the Egyptian princess and daughter of a pharaoh who fled from Egypt with her husband, uh, Gaithelios. They settled in Scotland until they were forced to leave and landed in Ireland. I feel like I've heard of this story before. The Egyptian names used in Bower's manuscript come from Mentho's work. According to the text, Skoda's father was uh, 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 uh at no, Cancerus. Uh, oh, God, these names. Um, what a what is a Greek version of the name Akhenaten? Okay, Akhenaten. Evans believes that. Uh, legendary Skoda could be the daughter of the heretic king from Egypt. Interesting. And the photo here is of the Bronze Age boat being excavated in North Fairby, Yorkshire. Oh, man. Another link between the historian of the Egyptians and Celts comes from the period known in Egyptology as the New Kingdom. Uh, 1640 to 1550 BC. In 1955, archaeologist Dr. Sean O'Ridrian of Trinity College, Dublin, made an interesting discovery during an excavation of the mound of hostages at Tara, at Tara in Ireland. The site dated to the Bronze Age was connected with the history of the ancient kingship of Ireland. Archaeologists discovered that uh, that the skeletal remains of what is believed to have been a young prince. The most interesting aspect of this finding was a rare necklace of finance beads made from a paste of minerals and plant extracts that had been fired. They, uh, they were Egyptian and the skeleton was carbon dated around 1350 BC. The boy from Tara lived in the same times as uh, uh, Tutankhamun. Even more surprising is the fact that both Tukenhamen and the Tower Skeleton had the same golden collar around their neck, which was inlaid with matching conical blue-green finance beads. And the picture is the Mound of Hostages, Tara, England. The mound covered with grass and a little entrance. There are still many mysteries behind the Celtic-Egyptian connection. In Egypt, archaeologists have found many figure, figurines of Celts presented in Ptolemaic style. Due to lack of resources, 
This area of research remains largely unexplored. I wonder why. Only future excavations expeditions may find an answer to questions surrounding the full history of Celtic connections to Egypt. Wow. That is fascinating. It, it really, truly is fascinating. Man, that is so cool. You know, and this is why I love like ancient history because when when you when you hear about these kind of stories and this this you know these archaeological digs and excavations, it just it proves you how much history has been hidden or lost, and it just makes you you know it makes you want to ask more questions. It makes you want to dive in deeper into these mysteries. Uh, but be, you know, and I remember I was uh, I spoke about um, the Egyptian priests and how they knew about America. I found the clip from Randall Carlson's podcast, and I figured we could take a listen to it, um, and 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 close out the show with this little nugget of of uh, exceptional, interesting historical knowledge. But, you know, like I was saying, I'm just telling you, like, the more we learn about ancient history and, and more of these types of um, explorations being uncovered. But think about it. I think how fitting that due to resources, and I put that in quotations, that no more work has been done to further um, uncover and unravel this mystery. And I feel that the reason why is because if they were to unravel and, you know, explain the more deeper rooted connections between um, Celtics and Egyptians of, of that period, it then starts further adding more questions and more mystery to, well, how much of a world connection did many of these civilizations have? So, you know, I just think for any of us, for all of us out there, we should really take that that extra minute and really ask ourselves that question. And it's it's just truly fascinating. And it just makes you wonder, like, how how did they link? You know, they, they're talking, you know, when you read when through the article, they don't really explain how they linked up. They don't explain first contact. So that's something we need to uncover. And this young prince you know, who turns out to be wearing the same type of royal Egyptian jewelry that uh, Tutankhamun was wearing. It, it, it really makes you wonder, like, was there at one point like a, you know, a Egyptian um, monarchy within Ireland at one point? Or like, it, you know, it just makes you wonder. Uh, it makes you really, really wonder. And like I said, and you know, please, uh, anyone out there, make sure to hit that like button, subscribe and ring that notification bell. And while you're at it, leave a comment down. If you've heard of any of these, uh, stories or, um, 
have any more um, evidence to add to the mystery, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So, you know, I highly recommend everyone go out and and subscribe to the Randall Carlson. Solon, right. as for those genealogies of yours, which you have recounted to us, Solon, they are no better than the tales of children. For in the first place, you remember one deluge only, whereas there were many of them. So no, and in the next place, long. you do not know that there dwelt in your land the fairest and noblest race of men which ever lived, of whom you and your whole city are but a seed or a remnant. And this was unknown to you, because for many generations, the survivors of that destruction died and made no sign. Meaning they didn't yeah. write? Is that what they meant? Or Right. Right. Yep. Uh, slide 72. We're going to have to wrap it up on slide 72 here. He's he's telling a lot more than just the fall of one, absolutely you know, city, one yeah. Atlantis. And, yeah. Uh, this, the, A destruction of the so whole like, world. And yeah. It, this is really fascinating stuff. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Many times over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's saying yeah. that, 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 like the, the idea of, the, of the, the civilization of Atlantis in the middle of the Atlantic, but he's also, but this ancient priest, this old priest of Egypt is saying that there was a civilization where you guys live. Yeah. You don't even remember the Athenians or whatever he was referring Let's them to. to the civilization of Atlantis in the middle of the Atlantic, but he's also, but this, you know, city one. Yeah. Atlantis. And yeah. The, 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 a destruction of the so whole like, world. And yeah, it many times over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's saying yeah. that, 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 like the, the idea of, the, of the, the civilization of Atlantis in the middle of the Atlantic, but he's also, but this ancient priest, this old priest of Egypt is saying that there was a civilization where you guys live. Yeah. You don't even remember mm. the Athenians or whatever he was referring them to. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I always refer to them as the proto Athenians. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, think about that. You know, the, 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 the fact that, there was a civilization that predates the Athenians and the Egyptians knew about them. You know, and this is, you know, the whole, the idea of the, of the, um, the great library under the Sphinx. So, yeah, I mean, this, this, these two dialogues are really rich. Yes. And you can see why I've been encouraging people for years to, to read them. Um, so then the, the priests go on to tell Solon that, um, before the greatest deluge that there had been a city where now Athens is. And he says it was preeminent for the excellence of her laws and is said to have performed the noblest deeds and to have had the fairest constitution of any, which tradition tells under the face of heaven. Solon marveled at this and earnestly requested the priest to inform him exactly and in order about these former citizens. To which the priest now he's talking about the former citizens of um of athens replied you are welcome to hear about them solon said the priest 
both for your own sake and for that of the city, and above all, for the sake of the goddess, who is the common patron and protector and educator of both our cities. She founded your city a thousand years before ours, receiving from the earth and Hephaestus the seed of your race. And then she founded ours, the constitution of which, which is set down in our sacred registers as 8,000 years old. As touching upon the citizens of 9,000 years ago, I will briefly inform you of their laws and the noblest of their actions and the exact... The sacred, the sacred registries of themselves. Sorry, I might be reading ahead, but I'm just so blown away. Particulars of the whole we will hereafter go through at our leisures in the sacred registers themselves. A lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. Obviously, here he, he actually first gives the date. You know, and here was this, um, you know, this fair civilization in, uh, you know, pre-antediluvian Greece. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Before this, now pre-diluvian, he means uh, pre-deluge, so pre the great flood. Um, it's if to give you like a, a Bible reference to make more sense great flood right and he's putting this date at nine thousand years see so we're going from the time of solon's sojourn in egypt 600 bc to now to then what you know you can do the math we're in round numbers eleven thousand six hundred years right. is where now you said remember you said 600 bc and we have information about the celtics mercenaries uh working in egypt and it was uh 350 bc around there 300 bc plato is placing his story which is now exactly the date that is given for the transition from the pleistocene to the holocene and the beginning of the younger dryas from 12 9 to the end of the younger dryas at eleven thousand six hundred, and the end of the younger dryas then is one of the th is the things that happened at the end of the Younger Dryas is one of the great meltwater pulses discharged into the global ocean from the rapidly melting ice sheets. And that's when she founds the the second city, which is the which is ancient Egypt, right? Egypt was founded a thousand. The Great Flood. Oh my lord! years later. Right. So after that cataclysmic period, she then they found the. Yeah, maybe a thousand years later. So that right. puts it at like ten thousand six hundred years ago. Right in the which, climate optimum. Yeah, and so you've got a millennium there for things to settle down, basically. And right. Yep. Can you imagine if there was a place where you could go today, where there'd be some old priest who'd be like, "Yeah, sure, sit down. I'll tell you all the stories of these ancient places that we have been handed to." God, <laughs> that would be freaking awesome. Well, yeah, you know what I want <laughs> is the sacred registers. Right. Yes. Yeah. Through we can go. And you'll think about that, like, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of joking about the fact of, um, you know, if we could go to ancient life, you know, these priests, modern day priests and go to these ancient libraries and they can tell us about all the previous civilizations that lived on our planet. And you know, they, they're, they're kind of laughing about it, but a part of me thinks that that information is still available. It's still there. You know, we have to look at these um private collections of ancient artifacts and manuscripts 
you know, go and check out my video on on was Jesus Christ a shapeshifter and and the connection with JP Morgan. It, it, you know, this is what's really fascinating about um this type of information and what we're being privy to. And I I truly hope people are you know excited about this because think about it, you know, look about the look at the 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 um the the Vatican's underground libraries. You know, ask yourself about the you know, the Vatican's underground libraries. This is, you know, just you got to ask yourself these questions. Go through at our leisure in the sacred register. God, selves. See, man, <laughs> where are those sacred registers? Man, <laughs> let me just have a peek. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the Sphinx. Yeah. <laughs> just let me know they're there. Yeah. They got to be somewhere. You know, they, they tried, they've made metal libraries of that stuff and stashed it in places. Yep. I'm sure there are repositories. There's all the legends of repositories of ancient knowledge. I'm just, you know, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and thinking positive that at some point in my lifetime, there's going to be discovery made. Some yeah. cache of ancient stuff. Yeah. You know, it from. Be suppressed. Yeah. 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 So now in the narrative, we've skipped over I a few parts, so but, but now in the narrative, it, it comes to the subject of Atlantis itself. I think we all want to know Many truth. great and wonderful deeds are recorded of your state in our histories. <clears throat> but one of them exceeds all the rest in greatness and valor. For these histories tell of a mighty power, which was aggressing wantonly against the whole of Europe and Asia, and to which your city put an end. This power came forth out of the Atlantic Ocean. For in those days, the Atlantic was navigable. And there was an island situated in front of the straits, which you call the columns of Heracles, and was the way to other islands. And from the island, these islands, you might pass to the whole of the opposite continent, which surrounded the true ocean. Hold on. I'm sorry. I got to. To other islands. And from the island, these islands, you might pass to the whole of the opposite continent, which surrounded the true ocean. For this sea, oh, this is wild. which is within the Straits of Heracles is only a harbor having a narrow entrance, but that other is the real sea and the surrounding land may be most truly called a continent. Interestingly, what he's describing, so you, from the pillars of Heracles, you come to some islands. Beyond those islands are more islands. And then beyond that, as he says, um, is the continent. It's the around. whole of the opposite continent. Which is talking about. Well, what else could it be talking about? <laughs> That's right. Right? He says, sail west from the pillar of pillars of Hercules. You're going to come to some islands. Then you're going to come to some more islands. And then you're going to come to the opposite continent beyond. 
And then it doesn't it also say that on the other side of that continent is the real ocean, basically saying the Pacific, which is enormous. It, no, it, no, he's talking about the real ocean being what's outside the pillars of Hercules. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. And he's all saying right. that the Mediterranean is only a harbor. Okay, I got you. All right. That's what he's saying. Yeah. So if we look here, I'll pull up some maps and do a share screen here. This has got a digital elevation of the uh, bottom of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. All right, so over here on the right, with my cursor, that's the pillar. For my podcast listeners out there, if you are interested in seeing the live stream version, which has the uh, visuals, please head over to Ronin Art and Music on YouTube. Pillars of Hercules right there. And if you come out from the Pillars of Hercules, you come to a group of islands right here, of which Madeira is the most prominent. And during the Ice Age, with lowered sea levels, these islands would have been more abundant and, and more prominent. Then you go beyond those islands, and you come to more islands here, which uh -huh. are the Azores, right? Uh -huh. Then you go from those islands on, and you come to the continent beyond. Right. So, I mean, what his geography fits perfectly with what's there. Yeah, this is incredible. Now, coincidence, maybe he didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe he made it up, you know, whatever. But the point is, is his geography fits perfectly. What was the reference to that this ocean was navigable in those days? What did that mean? That, that, that he was implying that it's not navigable at the time of the telling? Uh, I presume that's one of the, the things that's a little bit difficult to interpret exactly what he meant. Okay. Well, maybe... Yeah. I'm I'm just thinking that if there were more the if there were more islands and there was more land sticking out, it would have been easier for them to do the island hopping. Yeah, and presumably yeah. that the Pacific, the ocean gyre would have been different when the sea levels were way lower. So, I don't know. Yeah, which is which would make a really good point because of the fact that you know earlier he was talking about the the deluge and how pre deluge it was easier to navigate. And then, and we also have to consider at that time, there was also, this was also, I believe, may have been during the ice age as well. And we do know that there was, there were advanced civilizations that were around even North America during the ice age. So if the sea levels were lower then it would, like they were saying, it would make sense for there to be the ability of island hopping. Whee. That would have changed the navigational properties of it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would have. Um, of course, what we now know is that there is evidence of major underwater catastrophes that date back to this period. Yeah. So there would have been a time when, uh, you know, the ocean there was really stirred up um that's true yeah yeah um well still screen sharing there he's, yeah he's scrolling i think we can wrap <laughs> it up there man yeah, i know we've got so many slides <laughs> it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah this is this is this is we can we'll we'll begin into this this is the um the evidence for these enormous underwater uh cataclysms just uh -huh. uh, yeah it, it, like basically whole flanks of islands falling into the ocean. Oh man. Preview folks. Keep yeah, stay so tuned. We'll
yeah, we'll, we'll be coming back to that. Um, so I'm going to stop chair for now. We just right. started. <laughs> so That's kind of what we've done here in the last couple of episodes is, is set the, the groundwork for, for a, a further discussion of, of Atlantis. So that now the question becomes, is it possible that there is a sunken landmass in that area? Or is that completely out of the question? Right. And if it's completely out of the question, then we can presume, I think, safely that, you know, Plato meant the story allegorically. But so yeah. far, what we're seeing is very interesting because there's just too many coincidental connections here. The timing, to me, is intriguing. Could be a coincidence. And, like, you know, my whole thing is, like, when I see, when I start seeing a bunch of coincidences, that to me means there's a pattern and you know when there's a pattern there's evidence and when there's evidence you know it, it can be solved incidents 11,600 when a great meltwater pulse was introduced into the north atlantic and that's plato's date after which immediately atlantis sinks right is 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 it physically uh, physically possible for um a landmass to subside. Well, that becomes the, the sort of the question. That sort of is a question for geology and geophysics. But what we'll do is we'll look at the actual evidence. Yeah. And look, is, is there empirical evidence for any subsidence in the mid-Atlantic? And what do you think the answer would be? Well, Are you asking us now? There well, it is. That is the question. That is folks. the question we will be asking in future episodes. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> so to kind of wrap it up, what we found is that 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 um, you know Plato uh, initiates his his tale with this by referencing the myth of Phaeton. So we've kind of found out now what the myth of Phaeton is all about, which is highly highly suggestive of some kind of a uh, of, of an encounter between Earth and likely a cometary mass that could have triggered, you know, cataclysms, could have triggered both floods and fires. We know from, and we will be talking about this in future podcasts, of course, the, the evidence surrounding the Younger Dryas, which gets more interesting all the time. Um, yes. And definitely is, is relevant to uh, a story of Atlantis. And so we discussed the date, Meltwater Pulse 1b, 11,600 coincides with Plato's date for Atlantis, the subsidence of Atlantis, or or immediately after, because 11,600 was kind of the conclusion of this great war between the Atlanteans and the Proto-Athenians, and it was immediately subsequent to that war that there was this tremendous catastrophe. And 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 we'll get to those quotes, but it also mentions that um, there was a huge erosive event along on the Greek peninsula. That was happening simultaneous with the subsidence of of this landmass in the mid-Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So clearly now that you know expands the scope. I'm sorry, I'm I'm kind of just blown away by this whole concept of a war with the Atlanteans and the pre-Athenians. Uh, I'm sorry. Right. Of of the of the phenomena considerably. Well. That was uh, eye-opening. And this is what I mean, ladies and gents, about the mysteries of this world. We really don't know 
the truth. And when we get more nuggets like this, it just adds to the mystery and to the reality that, you know, we're, we're being lied to, we're being misled, we're being manipulated. And, you know, we, we need more people like Randall Carlson. You know, I hope that, you know, his legacy is that he creates an entire generation of free thinkers and explorers like him, himself that push to reveal the true narrative of our hidden history. Because we need that as a society and we need that as humanity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lounge Ronin, All Things, Everything. And if you made it this far, Make sure to hit that like button, ring that notification bell, and subscribe. And if you're catching the replay, leave a comment with your thoughts below with a little bit of some constructive criticism. And while you're at it, make sure to hit that block like make sure to hit that like button, click subscribe, and ring that notification bell. And until next time, stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lounge Ronin. To learn more about myself and how you can support Lounge Ronin, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. If you're interested in reaching out, follow me on my social media on Twitter, Ronin Art and Music, or at me at Kios Ronin, K-O-I-O-S-R-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, follow me at Ronin Art underscore music. And if you prefer, hit me up at my email at Ronin Art and Music 09 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a review and slap that notification bell. On Apple Podcasts, please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true and much love.